We're continuing with our Stranger Thing message series this morning, and this is certainly a Stranger Thing story that we're looking at today. You know, last week we took a look at someone by the name of Philip who was doing ministry in Samaria, and uh, there in Samaria he came across a sorcerer by the name of Simon. And we saw that Simon was really jealous of, envious of the powers of not only Philip, but later of Paul and John who show up. And he wants to buy those powers so he can have those same powers they do. And, uh, and needless to say, we talked about how uh, that did not work out really, really well for him. Well, the same Philip who was kind of the center of, of the story that we looked at last week, as you keep reading just you know a few sentences later, he becomes the, the, the subject of uh, the, the Stranger Things story that we're looking at today. But this time it's not with Simon the sorcerer, but it's actually with a Ethiopian eunuch, okay? And, and let me just kind of explain, it seems a little out of place, why an Ethiopian eunuch? Well, first of all, let's, let's talk about why this guy is a eunuch. This wasn't an ordinary Ethiopian. This person that Philip uh, will encounter in the story that we read, um, he is a official, um, a high official that serves the queen of Ethiopia. And uh, in many cultures and in many nations, especially in that day, if you were a male in service of the queen, uh, they wanted to make sure that you didn't uh, somehow uh, cross boundaries or get yourself into trouble or, or do anything that shouldn't be done. So they made it so that you couldn't. So they make this, uh, the, the, the men that serve the queen into eunuchs. Interestingly enough, even though they're made a little less of a man, uh, they, they still do keep in Scripture the, the pronouns he and him. Um, in this eunuch that has traveled, we're going to see, from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, uh, is on his way back from Jerusalem, and he's going to be reading from the scroll of Isaiah and as he heads back to Ethiopia, and that's going to be the one that God's going to choose to take the message of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to uh, the people of Ethiopia. Um, let's take a look at this, the story this morning. Once again, it is a very strange story from Acts chapter 8, 26 to 39. So now an, a the, an angel of the Lord says to Philip, once again, Philip just finishes up with Simon the sorcerer in Samaria. He says to Philip, go south on the desert road, the one that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so Philip starts out on his way, and on his way he meets this Ethiopian eunuch who's an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandik, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way home and he was sitting in his chariot and he was reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now the spirit of the Lord said to Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. And so then Philip runs up to the chariot and as he approaches the chariot, he hears a man reading from Isaiah the prophet. Uh, he, and Philip asks him, do you understand what it is that you're reading? How can I, the Ethiopian eunuch said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invites Philip to come up into the chariot and to sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb 
before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? Now the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And so the eunuch gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly takes Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. It's, it's a crazy story. And the first thing that you got to be asking is, why is there an Ethiopian, let alone an Ethiopian eunuch, traveling from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship at the temple? Um, it, it seems a bit out of place, but there's explanations for it. And, and let me give a couple. The first is this, is like Israel in its Old Testament became unfaithful to God. And when they became unfaithful to God, God used uh, the, the foreign nations basically to conquer them, to punish them. And so it first happens to the northern tribes of Israel where the Assyrians come in and, and, and defeat uh, the northern tribes of Israel. Now, when you defeat a, a country like that, you don't leave the people there because they'll keep causing problems for you. So you deport them to other parts of the empire. So when the Assyrians came in and defeated the, the northern tribes, they, they would have deported them across the empire. Well, a while later, the, the southern tribe of Judah eventually falls, not to the Assyrians, but then at that time uh, to the Babylonians. And once again, the Babylonians deport the, many of the people of the south to different parts of the empire. The only difference is uh, they were allowed eventually to come back and to repopulate the land. And that's why when you get to Jesus' time, the south is still uh, the, the Jews, the Israelites, and the north is, is not because they weren't allowed uh, basically to repopulate or to recolonize. So in this dispersion or this, this spreading out of the people of the north and the south across these empires, uh, you very well could have had um, uh, Israelites end up in Ethiopia and would have brought the, the traditions and the teachings of the faith along with them. But there's another explanation as well, and that is in the Old Testament, uh, something interesting happens during the time of, of Solomon. Remember, Solomon was known for his great wisdom and great wealth, and he kind of liked to show it, and he bragged about it. And so a word spread throughout the, the world that was known at its time uh, about the, the wisdom and the wealth of Solomon. And all different kinds of people came, including, Scripture says, the Queen of Sheba. And the queen of Sheba travels to meet Solomon, and scripture says she does it to test his wisdom. And she's coming with her whole, her whole entourage. She has all kinds of wealth and gifts and so forth. And she spends time testing Solomon, and, and he, he proves himself to be as wise as, as the stories told of him. So she lavishes on Solomon all of these gifts. 
And, and Solomon, uh, in response and appreciation, lavishes on the Queen of Sheba uh, all these presents, and, and she stays for a period of time, and, and most historians say probably like around six months or so, before she returns to where she came. Well, who is this Queen of Sheba? Well, Josephus, the greatest uh, uh, um, Israelite historian in the, in, around the time of Jesus said, the Queen of Sheba is uh, the Queen of the Ethiopians. And so you have this commonality, uh, this connection, if you will, between the people of Ethiopia and, and, and the people of Israel. If nothing else, you have it through Solomon. All right, that, that, that's a little bit of the, the brainy stuff, a little of the backstory. But what I want to spend uh, the remainder of the time is I want to talk about just some, some real-life practical applications that we can get from this story because this is a strange story, but I would suggest to you it's a profoundly powerful story to your life and to mine. And the first is this, that what struck me most when I read the story is that God is like the cosmic conductor. Now, I don't know how many of you have been to a symphony. Um, certainly, probably the older people in here amongst us have. But they say the most important person in the symphony is the conductor. Now, the interesting thing about the conductor is like the conductor, he's, he's not even playing the parts. But what he's doing is he's making sure all the parts are playing the way they should. He's not playing their parts. He's not even forcing them to play their parts. He's simply making sure that all the different parts are, are, are playing, the, the, once again, the way they should. And, and when he does it perfectly and when they do it perfectly, um, it's amazing. But if they're doing their own thing or he's off, it, it, it'd be really bad. Uh, and, and he's conducting like maybe upwards of 100 people and, and bringing all the parts together at just the right time that, that it's powerful and amazing, even though, once again, he's not playing one instrument. Well, when I read this story, this, this is like who God is. God is that cosmic conductor. He doesn't play any of our individual parts. In fact, God does not force us to do anything. But, but he's doing this cosmic like, like timing of all of these different pieces and all of these different parts of people who are, are voluntarily, willingly uh, to, to kind of engage him in it. And, and he's accomplishing his will and his purpose, not with a hundred people doing a hundred different instruments, but with billions of people who profess in Christ. God's like bringing them all together, once again, to accomplish his will and his purpose. And that's the crazy powerful thing about the story. Because, you know, we read the story, but did you really appreciate what I just read? Because God has, God wants the gospel to ultimately go to all nations and he wants to bring it to Ethiopia. But look at the logistics, look at the, the mathematical problem in terms of timing that God's got to work with in the story. He takes Philip, who's in Samaria, just finished dealing with Simon the sorcerer, and he wants him to meet this, this Ethiopian eunuch uh, that's traveling on, on this, this desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, the problem is, is Philip's in Samaria, and it's about 
50 miles from where Philip is to Jerusalem. And then that road from Jerusalem to Gaza is like another 40 or so. So God's got to work out timing-wise to tell Philip at just the right time so that Philip leaves at just the right moment. Once again, God doesn't force us to do anything. So he's dealing with the, the free will and the nature uh, of all the people who are participating in the cosmic orchestra as he's a cosmic conductor. He's got to tell Philip at just the right time that Philip ultimately is going to have to go about 75 miles to run into this, this Ethiopian eunuch in, 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 in 75 miles if you walk in maybe two miles an hour. I mean, how often do you stop at the QT to get a drink along the way? I mean, how often are you going to have to stop to go to the bathroom? Do you stop one night and sleep? Do you walk through the night? God's got to take all of those different scenarios and, and make it so that he's leaving at the precise time so that about 75 miles later, maybe a day and a half later, maybe two days later, whatever it is, that he's at just the right place at the right time that his paths cross with the Ethiopian eunuch. And not only do you have like the logistics of that, but God needs it to be at a, at a time in which the Ethiopian eunuch's going to be willing to be open to the gospel. It's got to be at a time that as he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, he just happens to be reading about a prophecy of the Messiah to come that he doesn't understand. So that when Philip walks up to the, the chariot, as he tells him to, Philip's able to say, do you know what, what, what you're reading? And he's like, no, I don't know what I'm reading. And, and, and all of that stuff has to take place at, at, at just the right time so, so that, that, that he hears the gospel, he's baptized, and he takes it back to Ethiopia. Do you know how crazy hard it would be? It can't be easy being God, right? But God, as that heavenly conductor, is able to do just that. And as I think of all the logistics of how do you make that time just right with people that are volunteers that you're not forcing to do anything and, and it blows my mind that God's able to do it. It, it. it makes me think about like just God in general. How in the world does he hear your prayers and your prayers and your prayers and your prayers and, and how is he answering millions upon billions of prayers at the same time? If you've ever experienced a miracle of God or an encounter of God, how in the world does he engage you where you feel like God has spoken directly to you that you've witnessed a miracle of God. It's like it's just you and him. And how is he doing that thousands and millions of other places and other times all at the same time? How is he working that out? Well, in Scripture, there's something called the fullness of time. And that God is like the heavenly perfect conductor that, that is crazy good at math, that he knows like the perfect time to do anything. And in his conducting, he takes volunteers that are just participating and he brings it into this beautiful symphony, this beautiful orchestra according to his will and according to his purpose. We see that in Jesus. You know, from, from the very start of creation, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they disobeyed God, humankind was in need of a, a savior, but it wasn't the right time. If God would have brought a savior back in the days before the flood, I, I mean, we don't even believe, a lot of people don't believe the flood happened. A lot of people don't believe those stories in the Old Testament happened. There's no proof for it. There'd be no proof for the Messiah. He could have brought the Messiah right after the sin happened. It, it would have been good, good for the people back then, but it was stunk for us because no one would have believed it happened. 
So God waits and he waits, he's conducting and, and doing his thing and, and everyone's participating, even whether or not they realize it or not. And at the fullness of time, at just the right time, he brings Christ into the world, uh, to Israel, uh, at a time in which, which Rome is, is ruling the world and building roads and, and, and he takes it at just the right time so that when Israel's destroyed, that, 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 that as people are fleeing, the message is gonna be taken you know, throughout the world. And it was at a time in, in history that we actually have a history and we do have recorded written documents of what took place and it's just at the right time. And some of us in here, maybe we struggle with the timing of God. Like some of you out here right now, there's, there's things that are going on in your lives and you're like, man, I just, I wish God would hear my prayer. You know, sometimes like maybe some of us have struggled or are struggling right now. Like when will God bring Mr. Right into my life or, or Miss Right? And, and, and when will I get married? Some of you might be worrying right now or maybe you worried at some time like, like God, would you just give me a child? And, and, and we struggle with God's timing for that. Sometimes we struggle with God's timing for our death. Like some of us are afraid of death and we're like, please, not now. Then there's others of us that like life gets really lousy and we're in a lot of pain and suffering and we're like, please let it come. You know, we sit there and we struggle with the timing of God. But, but we don't see the piece. We're just one piece, right? We're just like one violin player. We're just one piece of this cosmic orchestra of billions of people. We don't understand everything the conductor understands. We don't see all the pieces. And the problem is, is it seems like God's delays are, are, are a sign of God's denial. God's delays, though, aren't a sign of God's denials. It's just sometimes the, the, the timing's not there and the timing's not right. But in the fullness of time, he may very well, if it's according to his will and according to his purpose. And maybe we want something yesterday when we asked for it, but maybe it's three weeks from now that it'll be better. Maybe it'll be three months from now that it'll be better. Maybe it'll be three years or 30 years that it will be better. But are you going to be faithful to the conductor? Are you going to be watching the conductor? Or are you going to be wanting to kind of control the thing in your individual part. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is, this is a sign of a person with amazingly strong faith is, is that, that you surrender your timing to God's. And the ancients that are commended in, in the book of Hebrews, it specifically says that many of them are promised things that they would never see in their lifetime. But they didn't doubt the promise because they trusted in the one who's the cosmic conductor that is coordinating all of these different parts and all of these different pieces. And in the end, half of us in here struggle with what time to leave in the morning to get to work on time. We, like we can't work out the timing in that. So let's put our trust in a God who can do not only what we see here in the book of Acts, but, but he, he does it on a cosmic scale. The, the, the math of, of, of the solar system in the universe, of this earth, of, of how long it takes for the, the earth to turn so that, that in, in the heat of the day, it doesn't get too hot. In the cool of the night, it doesn't get too cold. The axis of the earth so that the, the warmth of the summer isn't so hot and the, and the coldness of the winter isn't too cold. To, to having the solar system in a balance, to having uh, galaxies in balance, having all of the, 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 the galaxies in balance of the universe, God, God handles all that timing. So tell me what's going on in your life. What are you struggling with in terms of the timing of God that you can't trust him to handle it and to work it out? Another thing that I think is interesting about this text is, uh, is that we see the guidance of God 
in this text. You've got God guiding Philip so that Philip gets to where he needs to be to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. But I talked about God as being the conductor and the conductor doesn't play the instruments for the people. In fact, he doesn't even force them to do. And so God guides Philip but Philip's got to go along with it. And look how crazy the story is. Is God, it says an angel of the Lord. Now, I'm kind of curious what that angel looks like, right? Does, is this like some, some guy with wings? Is, does he have a glow to him? Is he tall, dark, and handsome? I mean, what does it, it doesn't tell us, but it says the angel of the Lord comes to Philip and says, hey, I, I need you to go to that desert road. Yeah, that one that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. You know, that one that's 75 miles away and you're walking. And notice what Philip doesn't say is, but why? Why do I need to? You want me to go? Okay, I will, but tell me why. You see, if God tells Philip why, Philip's going to try to help him conduct. And when Philip tries to help God conduct, he's going to mess up the orchestra. And so Philip doesn't ask that. Like the angel of the Lord says, you need to take a 75-mile walk and, and just go. And he doesn't know why he's walking. He's like, all right, you know, God's telling me to do it. And he goes. And then once he gets there, there's a caravan coming and, and, and it says the spirit of God, right? So now however God's talking to him through his spirit is saying that chariot, and it specifically says go up to that chariot. So it seems like, and there probably would have been a caravan because this guy was extremely important, but go up to that chariot and stand near it. Now, think about how crazy that is. Like, who of us in here, if God told us to go up to, to a chariot or to a car, you know, that we would go to? Imagine being at Walmart and the Spirit of God says, I want you to go up to that white car right over there. And I need you to just stand right there next to the window. And you'd be like, you want me to what? Go up to that white car there at the parking lot in Walmart and stand next to the window. Are you crazy? I mean, I'm going to get shot, Right? No, I want you to go up to that window and just tap on the window and ask them if they know what they're reading. I mean, it, it just, it, there's no way we would do it, right? But God's given this guidance to Philip. And, and so he guides him to go to that desert road. He goes to that desert road. He guides him to stand next to that, 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 that chariot. And at just the right time, the guy's reading from the book of Isaiah, this messianic prophecy that he doesn't understand. And Philip's like, do you know what you're reading? He's like, no, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And then you, you have him sitting in the chariot, riding along with the eunuch and, and, and telling him about Jesus. And the guy ends up seeing some water. And he's like, well, what's to stop me from getting baptized? And, and nothing. And so Philip baptizes him. And then we're told the spirit of God whips him out of there, just takes him out of there and he wasn't seen again. Now, I wonder what that was like. Was it like one of those dust devils you see when you're going through the desert where like it's swirling and then Philip was just gone? Or, or did he just like, you know, start jogging when it was over? You know, how the, it doesn't say, but you see Philip being guided by God. And as a result, from that one eunuch, today in Ethiopia, 72 million Christians. Why? Because God is that heavenly conductor and his timing is perfect. And in the fullness of time, at the perfect time, he did it. How cool would it be if God governed your life and mine in a similar way? But yet he does. Look at John chapter 14, verse 26. But the advocate, that is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. You see, God's spirit will guide us. But once again, like God's spirit can only guide us if we're willing to be guided. You've heard the saying, like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. You know, the, the, the conductor's playing, but the, or, or uh, is, is, is orchestrating the, the entire symphony, but, but they have to do their part. God can guide us, but, but we've got to be willing to follow that guidance. And I think that's the part that a lot of us in here would struggle with if we would be honest. Are we really willing to trust him and to follow his guidance in our lives? How many of you have, have cried out to God before or are crying out to God? God, I just, I need you to help me with my kids. I don't know, like they've, they've hit puberty, they're, stopped, they're not listening, or, or maybe they've gotten into drugs or they're doing this. I, I don't know how to deal with them and, and, and what I should do. And God, just guide me and direct me. And, and God, maybe through his word or maybe through some friends that are saying, you know what, you really need to have strong boundaries. You need to do tough love and this, that. And you're like, well, no, I, I, I could never do that. How many of us in here maybe cry out to God, 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 I just would really like less drama in my life. Could I have a week in which there's no drama? I, I just wish there was no dysfunction. And, and once again, through God's word or maybe someone in, in your life or, 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 or a sermon that you heard, different thing, God's trying to give you guidance and direction, but you're sitting there thinking, you know what though? No, I, I don't think I could do that. How many of us in here cry out to God, God, just give me some guidance. I'm so sick and tired of being broke. I can't ever pay my bills. The stress of my marriage, the stress of not knowing if I could pay my mortgage and I work like crazy, never have enough. God, just guide me. And like someone's like, hey, you know what? Um, have you heard about Dave, Dave Ramsey and his like whole financial class? Yeah, it costs 150 bucks. No, I can't do it, right? Or, you know, hey, how about a budget? I, I, I don't like doing budgets. So we pray for God's guidance, but are, are we really willing to, to follow it? You, you got a combative coworker and you're praying to God about it and God's maybe giving you guidance, but are you willing to do it? Are you willing to say how you feel versus maybe keep it into yourself? Uh, it's just not worth it. You know, we pray to have significance in, in our lives. God, would you just like make this meaningless life meaningful? Give me some significance. Okay, great. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. You know, start doing this and start doing that. No, no, I, I don't want to give that up. And no, I wouldn't do that. that no, we, we just won't follow the guidance. Just like those that might say, God, I just, I just want you to use me. Help me to make a difference in someone's life. Help me to, to, to just, just take the message to, to, to someone and, and to help radically change someone's life. God, that would be so great. He's like, go to that white car in the Walmart parking lot, stand outside the window and tap on it. And you're like, no way. They're gonna think I'm nuts. We pray that we want God's guidance, but are we really willing to follow it? The third thing that really strikes me about this story is I love when Philip walks up to the Ethiopian and he says, do you know what you're reading? I love the Ethiopian's response. He says, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And Philip did. 
And how could this Ethiopian understand? I mean, he's from Ethiopia. Regardless of if he got there through the relationship of the Queen of Sheba or one of the dispersions, they don't have copies of the, 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 the scripture there. He, they, he doesn't have all of these teachings. He had just gone to Jerusalem because at least on some level, uh, you know, there's that connection to, to Israel and, and, and to the worship of, of Israel's God, uh, but he, does, he can't understand what he's reading. But Philip's able to explain it to him. And for me, like, when I look at Christians in the church today, this is such a big one. There's so many pastors nowadays that, like, people just, like, you, you can mail in to become an ordained minister. You don't have to take a class in your life. You just pay some, it's like getting a fake ID or something. You, you have all these people that were life coaches and I know I like now I want to I want to become a pastor I'm just going to start church and become a pastor you got business people that like you know they become disillusioned with business and 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 they just decide they want to be a pastor they've never gone to seminary they've never had training and they're ready to lead and, and, and to teach but 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 if they haven't ever been taught how are they supposed to teach and in the church we have the same problem right you got people like I don't have to go to church to be a believer like I can just I can read the Bible for myself I can like I just pray no I mean like how how can you understand it if it's never been taught I have to tell you like to be a pastor in our church body and what I went through, like I had four years of undergrad and in that undergrad, you took, you took Latin, you took Greek, you took Hebrew, you took Old Testament, you took New Testament, you took doctrine. That's all in your undergrad. And then you did four years of graduate school in which you learned even more about the Bible and more about the teachings and the history of the church and all of these different things. And then I did another two years on top of that as my doctorate. Now, was all of that useful and helpful? Not necessarily, no. But there's a lot of stuff that I learned from the people who learned it from the people who came before them, that came before them, that came before them, that helps us to understand it and to know the scriptures. And though the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us like how much schooling someone needs to have before they, they would go and teach, we see this process of learning from those who've come before you. And I have to tell you, like, it never stops. I've been a pastor for 25 years, I've, I've got my master's in it. I've got my doctorate in it. And it was funny, last week I was teaching about Philip, but I was teaching about it in terms of Simon the Sorcerer. And I was talking to Pastor Dave in my office on Monday and, and we we're talking about the message. He's like, yeah, I like the message a lot. He's like, but I'm curious, why did you teach that as that's Philip, the disciple of Jesus? I'm like, well, because one, Jesus had a disciple named Philip. And two, like the, the, Philip's doing what Jesus commanded his, his disciples to do, to go and teach to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he's like, yeah. And he said, and I don't know why. He says, because the Philip there in, in these stories, it doesn't say which Philip it is, but he said, historically though, this is always understood as someone other than Philip, the apostle of Jesus. This is someone that, that ends up being known as um, Philip the evangelist, who was actually introduced a little bit earlier in Acts with Stephen. Now, what's interesting about that is you have uh, Stephen and this other Philip that they were designed to do other jobs so that the apostles could actually spread the message of the gospel. 
But if you look at the way Acts is written, that you've got Philip, this other Philip that's introduced like somewhere around Acts 6, and he's going to be talked about later. Um, and you got this section about Philip in between. And then when you read some of the early church fathers of like around 100 years after the time of Christ, pretty much unanimously, no one thinks this is Philip the apostle, Philip the disciple. They think it's this other Philip that was added to their numbers around the time of Stephen. And so like, so even now, like after having a master's and a doctorate and being a pastor for 25 years, talking to someone who's older than me, talking to Pastor David, it's like, huh, that's interesting. Very cool. I'll probably forget it in two months, but nonetheless, very cool. And that's why we have to be in Bible study. That's why we need to be listening to sermons. That's why we need to go to church because we learn from the wisdom of the people who've come before us that have come before them, that have come before them. And we can't expect to just pick up the Bible and figure it all out on our own. Then a few nerdy nuggets here at the end as I worked with this text. Um, You know, we read this passage about this Ethiopian going to Jerusalem and we're like, oh, that's nice. But do you understand what was going on here? This this journey that this Ethiopian was taking was basically a 2,000-mile journey. It's, it's a 4,000-mile round-trip journey by land and by sea to get to Jerusalem. This took months to do this round-trip journey. This wasn't something this guy did once a year. This is probably a once-in-a-lifetime event. Think about the cost, the time of work, everything. For this 2,000, it's like you going from here to Portland, either by, by horse, by walking, by chariot, what, however you want to understand it. That is how long it would take to get there and to get back. I mean, it's immeasurable by us and in, in our standards and how quickly we like to do things, the amount of commitment that it took for this Ethiopian eunuch to do what he did. And who better than to take that message of Christ back to Ethiopia than someone that was so committed that he was willing to take months out of his life and who knows how much in terms of cost in order to go to Jerusalem just to worship. And that's why I talk about God as being this, this cosmic conductor, that, that God sees that and he knows that and he's gonna make use of that. And once again, from this one believer, today, 72 million in Ethiopia. Another kind of nerdy nugget here is think about the significance of what this Ethiopian eunuch was reading. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. Now, why the book of Isaiah? Well, because if you're wanting to take the message of Christ to Ethiopia, what better Old Testament book to read than the book of Isaiah that is loaded with all these stories that tell about Jesus? But did you also think, how in the world did this guy get a copy of the book of Isaiah. He, he probably didn't have it back in Ethiopia because it didn't, like, the, the queen probably didn't bring it back, you know, ages ago. And when the Jews were dispersed ages ago, they, you know, they, they, they wouldn't have had copies of it. He, he wouldn't have had it back there. He probably bought it when he was in Jerusalem. But have you, have you stopped to consider what it would take to get a copy of the book of Isaiah in this time? Like, they don't have copiers. You can't go to, you can't go to Staples. And the only way you're going to have a copy of the book of Isaiah is that some scribe took the time to write it as carefully and legibly as you can, like in perfect lettering to make sure that you copied it exactly right. And it would take about a year 
to make a, a copy of, of, of the book of Isaiah. So literally, the, this Ethiopian eunuch, when he goes to Israel, is probably at that point buying what is equivalent to the year's wage of a scribe. Once again, to spend that kind of money to just get a book of the Bible that was hand-copied meticulously without error. And the other thing that's interesting about the book of Isaiah is that there's actually three references to Ethiopia in it. Isaiah 18, Isaiah 20, and Isaiah 45 all speak about Ethiopia. Why? Once again, because of this, this commonality that they shared after the queen of Ethiopia uh, came in, in, in New Solomon, and then it, it, it kind of becomes part of, of, of the knowledge and the writings that we see of Israel after that time. And then th this is the real kicker. This eunuch that did a 4,000-mile round-trip journey to Ethiopia, he probably wasn't even allowed to worship when he got there. For the older people in here, do you remember that like um, National Lampoon's uh, where they go to Wally World and it's closed? I mean, this guy went 4,000 miles round trip, did a 2,000 mile journey by land, by sea, took months to get there, months to get back. When he got there, it was closed, but it was closed to him. Why? Because of something that was written in the law that honestly he wouldn't have known about because he was from Ethiopia. He, they, they wouldn't have had a copy of all the scriptures there. He, he, he would not have known this. He just, he has that cultural tie. He, he has that connection from either the, the dispersion or, or, the, or the people that, that, that through the queen of Sheba and, and, and the descendants that came after that. He's just going to make this journey because he wants to worship in Jerusalem. But here's the problem. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 23 and the laws of, uh, of the Israelites, it's forbidden for eunuchs to worship at the temple. It says, no one who's been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. He literally traveled 2,000 miles to find out when he got there, he's not worthy to go in because he's a eunuch. Now, I don't know if this was posted. I don't know if they've got a bunch of postings at the temple saying who can't go in. And he's like there and he's like, oh man, I just went 2,000 miles the last few months. I can't get in. I don't know if they check. I don't know if like it becomes clear by like the highness of his voice or it becomes apparent. Maybe you couldn't tell by seeing him and maybe he never knew the law and maybe he did kind of get in and, and, and get to do it anyways. But technically speaking, no, he didn't. And then he's on his return journey home, reading from the book of Isaiah. And look at what the book of Isaiah says, as it prophesies of a time in which God's accepting of all people, including eunuchs. Isaiah 56, three to five says this. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. You see, Isaiah is a prophetic book and Isaiah is saying a time will come where people, the foreigners won't be able to say anymore that they're being excluded from God's people. He says, and let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree for this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, 
who, chooses, uh, who choose what pleases me, for the ones who hold fast my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So the eunuch is literally reading from a scroll that, that says he's accepted after he potentially made this 2,000 mile journey that said you're not accepted, you're excluded. Which gets you to the point that when Philip's telling him about Jesus, he's asking, uh, well, what can prevent me from being baptized? And the answer is nothing. Even though you were prevented from being able to enter into the temple and to worship, nothing's going to prevent you anymore because it's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and he accepts you. And I have to tell you, like, that's the power of the book of Acts as we're going through it. You know, we see Jesus when he was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus was asking the Samaritan woman about some stuff in her life. And she says, listen, I love to go worship. I, me and my people, we love to go up to Jerusalem. We love to go to the temple and to worship there. But you Jews, you won't let us do it. It's not allowed. Jesus says, you're right. But I'm, I tell you, a time's coming. In fact, it's come right now that, that, uh, that all people will be able to come and worship because you won't have to worship on this mountain or that mountain because what you're going to do is you're going to worship God in spirit and truth. This is his promise to the Samaritan woman. This is who Philip, uh, when he goes to Samaria, opens up the, 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 the faith of God to the Samaritans. Now it's being opened up to, to the eunuchs and, and that's the beauty of the story of the gospels like, or of Acts is that the message of Jesus is now open to all people. And so I conclude and leave you with this. Find someone who's unworthy of the gospel in your life and share it with them. And what I mean by that is, listen, there are some people who, who are living very unchristian lives. There are people that are, are, are just, uh, just involved in some really bad things. Guess what? God is opening up the kingdom of God to them. Take it to them and, and try to win them over. But for you and for all of us in here, as we look at this text, what I'm saying is submit your life to God. Submit your life to the guidance of God because he can be this heavenly orchestra director and doing all these conducting things. But, but if you're not gonna submit your life to him, it's not gonna do you any good. Trust in the perfect timing of God. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever your struggles are right now, know that God's hearing that. And, and according to his will, he will answer that. But it's according to him seeing all of the different parts, not just your own part. For God is the one who not only orders the cosmos and orders this world, but he orders your life and mine. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious almighty God, we just thank and praise you for your text this morning to be able to look into the story and to see how you've made those who were never worthy, now worthy. And I just pray, gracious God, that as we struggle with some of the difficulties of our lives, as we cry out to you in prayer over our own struggles and our own pain, our own heartache, as we cry out to you, God, just would you please help me? Would you please guide my path? That we would be willing to follow your guidance and that we'd be able to trust your perfect timing and maybe we're praying for our children in here and maybe we'll go to our grave and never see that prayer answered. But as the ancients that have come before us that believed in that which they never witnessed themselves, that even in our own death, the things that we 
trust you in prayer, that we will believe according to your purpose and according to your plan and according to you as a great and cosmic director of not only of the universe and of this world, but of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.